if there's something that's placed on your heart, you have to commit and you have to see it through. And there'll be moments of doubt and fear and ups and downs and setbacks and um, moments when you move forward and you, you think it's going to be easeful. And all that came to a culmination as I crossed that line saying like, yeah, you, for me, it took this long um, and every step and everything that happened on that on that path was life it's life it's it's the ebb and flow of life it's the ups and it's like the ocean so i don't i don't wish it any other way and it happened so magically and um perfectly um because i released attachment to how it actually had to be achieved um and when you do that as jennifer was talking about earlier you just have this uh calm uh, appreciation for what it is that's happening, knowing that it's for your higher growth as a, as a, as a person. So when I crossed that line, yeah, I did tick a box on things that I, uh, one thing that I have been looking to complete for many years now. Um, but it also, it also showed me that I'm not defined by this one event. This isn't the end. I'm still on the path. There's much, much more to go. And whether that includes coming back to Kona or more Ironmans, whatever it is, that's just one aspect. I think, I think at the essence of it is that you need to find what you love um, and pursue it relentlessly until you achieve it. it. Nobody up until maybe a few years ago ever thought that, including myself, that this is something that I could actually do. And in that journey, there was moments when I started. First, I first my coach believed in me, and so I like borrowed her belief in myself because I didn't have it. And then eventually, I started to believe, and then I really started to believe. And then when I realized like what it would take for me to get here is a lot of patience and consistency, and like perseverance, then I knew I could be here because I knew I could do that as long as it took. And so to sit here and like I, you know, for me actually, the, the finish line was amazing. The most emotional start was the five minutes when you're treading water, waiting for the race to start, and you're out there in the ocean. You had these other women. We're all like super excited to be here. And the days ahead of you, and nope, I've never. There's no way I was not going to finish that. I would have crawled if I needed to finish that race. So it wasn't. I knew the finish line was inevitable. Was never. What was inevitable is getting to that start line. So to be in the water and being like, you know what? It's going to happen. It's just like, it is going to happen. In 30 seconds, this is going to happen. And to be there and to know that like I did something that most people would never have thought that I could do and never achieve what I've been able to achieve and never be able to work through what I've worked through to be in this moment and to like be a part of this dream that I've had that I made happen. Like I just made this happen. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. I'm Jess. I'm here with Beach, and I'm here with Jennifer Volman. We are in Kailua, Kona, Hawaii. After the big dance, it is Sunday, the day after the men raced the Ironman World Championship. And three days, three days? Not great at math, but our audience knows that. I think it's three days since the women and a few of the age group males raced on Thursday of this week and these guys came through the finish line, you know, so smooth, so graceful, so beautiful, so strong. They both had amazing days and we are here to smack it down. And Jennifer has been on the podcast before. If you listen to this show, then you know that she was on episode 314 with Dan Casey. She is the co-founder of the Pura Vida Cycling Challenge, which 
if you listen to this podcast, you know is a life-transformative experience. And if you are looking to up-level your bike fitness, that is the place to go to do it. It's a five-day cycling challenge, some of the greatest climbs in the world, so well-run, the food's amazing, you can totally eat vegan the whole time, because there's nothing, in my opinion, better than Norm's Monster Vegan Burrito that you get after you ride. So anyway, enough about me and me talking here. Let's talk to these guys. BJ and Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's exciting to be back on. So, so happy to be here. The day after. Yeah, so we all just went for a recovery swim this morning out in some of the saltiest water I've ever swam in. It's just so beautiful. There's chop, there's swell, there's fish, there's reef. It's absolutely gorgeous. We have a ton of questions, you guys, and I think we're just going to dive in, and I'm just going to dive in with the first one that we have. So if they seem out of order, well, you know, we got to just relax into that because we're going to go right into these questions, starting with question from Jeanette, who is on Team Yogi Triathlete. Um, let's dive right into nutrition. I love it because I think both of you did pretty well on your nutrition, but um, I think there's always room for improvement. So Jennifer, I'm going to send it over to you for the first part of this question, which is how many calories did you take in on the bike and on the run? So on the bike, um, I've done a couple hot races before. I'm from Arizona. And so even these hot races, I know that I can take in a lot of calories because I've trained that way. So I think I had a six-hour bike ride and I had uh, 400 calories an hour, like give or take, plus a lot of salt um, in all liquid form. So I use Scratch Superfuel and the right stuff, plus some like chews and blocks and um, SIS jealous, and I had that. And the run, I honestly don't know. It got a little foggy after mile eight. Like a cup, maybe you know, a cup of Coke, a cup of Gatorade, maybe a gel, something on the ground. <laughs> like you know, like <laughs> whatever was out there by that time. I'm not totally sure um, what happened after mile eight in the run. It's kind of a blur, but. I was able to fuel all the way through. There was never a point where I wasn't at every aid station fueling. Um, this race, they actually had fewer aid stations. So there are eight less aid stations than usual, which did, I think, make a difference and like throw off maybe a bit of nutrition. Um, but I was really well fueled all the way through the race. And then the second part of that question is, do you feel like, yeah, do you feel like as it was enough? Um, and as we re were reviewing these questions prior to hitting record, you had a super insightful perspective on just any question that is in regards to calories and how much and was it enough? And so I'd love for you to share that perspective. I think it's it's quite insightful. Yeah, I think I'm also um, a coach too. So I coach a bunch of athletes through their nutrition. And inevitably, I think whenever people are really concerned about how many calories like everybody is getting, if it's enough and it's fueled, there's probably a level of underfueling happening with that athlete. Um, very rarely have been asked an athlete asked me like if I had enough and they also have enough, right? So I, I haven't ever experienced that. So I think if that's something that you're questioning, like what are people eating is enough or they fueled, like I think maybe the reflection goes back to yourself. And is that something that you need to look at? Are you eating enough? Are you feeling enough? Do you feel fuel, fueled, you know, and fueled all the way through your racing? Yeah, I think that's, I love that perspective because yeah, I never ask anybody how many calories I I'm always just like, okay, how many more? Like, I feel like I'm fueled, but now like, can I get in more? And what does that look like? Um, so I think that base level is just, yeah, getting yourself to a point where 
you actually don't need to ask that question anymore. Um, and you'll know, you'll know when you're fueled, you'll know how that feels. And I think we all know the signs and symptoms of of not feeling enough and it rolls right into your recovery. And I even think your mental state because, you know, carbs are a huge um, energy mechanism for our brains. Um, okay, Beach, I'm going to hand that over to you. How many calories did you take in and, and was it enough? Because you've, I think taken in too little calories before, so you've learned. I've most certainly learned through the years. I've gone extreme both sides, not enough and then way too much. Um, I On the bike, I think I really dialed in the bike, and I, and I want to say my nutrition was spot on because um, uh, of pacing. I think doling, dishing out the effort that I gave allowed me to maybe absorb what I was putting in my body because I went more than I, I normally do. So I would say I was up upwards of 350, 375 probably um, per hour. Normally I'm the 250 because of the Roctane, but I took in gels and bananas and um, uh, I think that was it. Yeah, gels and bananas and then um, Roctane. And I went through six bottles of Roctane, so... You know, it's 1,500 calories right there. And then the sodium, uh, the right stuff. I had one full package of the right stuff in each water bottle. So 1,700 milligrams per water bottle in addition to the 300 or whatever from Roctane. So yeah, it might have been too much on paper, but it actually, I actually felt fine. I think I calculated uh, upwards of 11,000 milligrams on the bike and run for... Um, for this race. So for a 12 hour race, let's say 12 hours, you know, comes out to what, what did we say last night? Like a little over a thousand, 1200 per hour. Yeah. And actually I saw Fenella language is cause she, I think she used precision or something and she had spot on nutrition cause she had a great race too. And she was like 11 to 1200 milligrams of sodium too. So this goes back to, are you a heavy sweater? What's happening later into a race, how are you feeling the day after? Do you have headaches? Like this is all, um, this is all your body trying to find homeostasis, trying to find balance. And if you can stay on top of your electrolytes, um, more than, um, then you're going to feel a little bit better. And then on the run, um, I actually held, had a handheld with Roctane and a right stuff in it. And all I kept doing is I would drink it down. I would stop at the aid station and put in ice and more water. So it became more diluted. Um, to the point where I didn't have any more because um, I was waiting to get to the special needs bags to get another one, uh, Roctane and the right stuff. But I planned ahead and carried a right stuff in my pocket. So I stopped at an aid station because um, obviously my pace was slower getting to that, uh, getting to the special needs bag. So I needed to get that right stuff in there. And I knew it. I, I just felt my focus going. I felt like I just felt something was off. So I just stopped right there. I poured the right stuff in the remaining water I had, took a sip, and then at the next aid station, filled it up again. So that's just thinking ahead. Yeah, I think you did a really good job on the run. I think that's where I, I missed a bit was the sodium on the run. Like I had four right stuff packets in the bike and a sum on the run, and it just, it wasn't enough. Because I think I told you I lost, I think, roughly 11 pounds on the race course, which is, it's a lot of pounds to lose. <laughs> 
in one day in like 12 hours of racing. And that was the sickest I've ever been after any race. I was like in a fetal position by the hedges for like a solid two hours after the race. So it, it clearly like I was not okay. Mm. Um, and so I think that was the salt I missed. I missed the mark this time. But that's the adjusting of the plan. That's just exactly. like, okay, well, na- next time. And it's not like, you know, you just up it up a little bit. You don't have to like... No, I don't need to have... Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just... And it's hum- the difference is humidity. So now I know humidity. Yeah. It, I just race differently in it. Yeah. Yep. All right. So uh, tail... What do they call it? What do they say? Dovetailing. Is that a dove... Is this, yeah, is this the right use of this word? <laughs> sure. Dovetailing? Dovetailing on that. I might use it again <laughs> if we decide that that was correct. Um, from Bobby, another team Yogi triathlete athlete. So dovetailing on that. Uh, adjustments to nutrition, which I think you just kind of talked to, which is really about feel, right? Like you gotta, you gotta train with feel as well, because there's nothing on a watch that's going to tell you, Hey, when your stomach goes this way, this is what you need. And I think developing that feel and BJ's like reaching for the mic. Cause he's so passionate about feel, but hold on, let me get the rest of Bobby's question. <laughs> okay. Adjustments to nutrition, race plan and mindset with the humidity specifically. So Beej, take it away on the feel piece. Oh, I can go and feel all day long. Um, what happens when your watch and computer and things just don't work? Um, you got you got to have that relationship with feel. And I know Bobby experienced this when I think something happened with his his bike computer, from what I remember, and he had to go on feel. Um, so it's that trust, it's that gut feeling of like, is this enough? Um, so it asks asks you to to really get um, honest with yourself. Um, and I think that's that's the lesson I learned. Um, he's talking about preparation for the race. St. George derailed me. It was a, it was an atrocious performance. Um, I walked, I mean, I had fun. I smiled and yeah, I, I, I had a great time, but it, it's not what I am capable of. So I really took that to heart and made adjustments. Um, and I was gifted the opportunity to go to the Pura Vida Cycling Challenge and Jennifer introduced us to the right stuff. And that was a game changer. And yeah, it was only cycling and... Um, we weren't doing all the other things, but I mean, I was able to, to climb and, um, day after day after doing an Ironman the week before Jennifer too. So I took that into practice, into my training. And then right away, all my big rides on Saturday and runs were like the, the right stuff was, was incorporated into that. And I was starting to run really strong in training off of a six hour ride. So I practiced, I adjusted, and then I even took more in, um, for this race. So the preparation um, to adjust to the humidity and heat here started well before we got here in Tacona. It started weeks before. So it, it really started after um, St. George when I, when I was derailed. And Maui, you know, Maui was a, was a good, good experience to have um, mentally because um, Bobby did ask about the mental component. And I've said this, I don't think I've shared it here, but Years ago, going into an Ironman, not doing as much training volume as I had in the past, doing yoga twice a day for 90 minutes, meditating, um, chilling out, you know, being in this peaceful, calm, silent um, environment was not in my wheelhouse. But, but now I don't see any other way because it just re- it really it really brought me down um, in a way that I was calm. Um, so we, um, we would, uh, have, have, uh, wake up and have a 
A morning yoga practice. Oh, it was a yoga retreat. Um, I, I call it a yoga and meditation retreat. Uh, but it's a full immersion. So you're in this resort that's just dedicated and isolated for this experience. And you can go off and into, into town down the road if you wanted to. And I did a little bit of training, but the sole purpose was to really just dive in and, and um, get uncomfortable. You know, I did a dance I did participated in the dance with all of you. Um, that was fun. Um, and really, really tapped into this, uh, the power from within, I call it, like this calmness, uh, the, power, the power that comes from the calm. It doesn't have to be so efforting all the time. So uh, this for f- a full week leading into Kona um, beforehand was just so, it was so served up perfectly for this experience. And I took a lot of that with me. Um, and I don't know if you want to talk about that now, but the Ahomai and Makamai, um, they had this um, local um, woman come in and share some history of the of the land of the Hawaiian um, culture, and she had this amazing voice, and she brought us all into this song. I'll call it. It was, it was a song, um, and it was about. Um, I'm gonna butcher it a little bit here, but it was a whole my was like the, the chorus. Um, and we went through all the soundings together with everybody in the group and we actually sang it with her. And it was just like, you calling, you're calling on the power of the Island gods. You're, you're, you're pulling that into yourself. You're asking to receive it, the knowledge, the wisdom, the power. Uh, and I use that relentlessly, relentlessly on race day. It was, um, one of my mantras, um, and they say when you go into the energy lab, it will either give you energy or it will suck your energy away. And I feel like I was actually given a little bit of energy to come out because there's this really long hill to come out and I ran the whole thing. Um, got a little emotional on the turnaround. And then out to the main road and I just I was able to pick it up. So I actually felt like I gained... I had asked for the energy and I actually received it. So circling back to that retreat, um, Bobby, that that's, it's a really good time to go in, go in and strengthen that relationship with your thoughts and beliefs and really get clear on what it is you want. Because when, when things get challenging on that run and they are going to get challenging on that run, how do you, how do you pull yourself out from your default, which is to slow down, walk and, and be in misery? Um, and so I use those tools. And this actually goes into another question from Sandy man. Uh, and I'm going to send it over to you, Jennifer, because Sandy man says training in Arizona, how did that help you adjust to the climate in Hawaii where it's super hot and humid? And, um, Bobby was also talking about, you know, the race plan, the mindset, the nutrition with all the humidity. So coming from dry desert climate to, and you weren't on Maui for a week. Um, you did get here some days early, but yeah. How did that all translate for you and, and, um, adjustments that you had to make on race day? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I didn't make adjustments, which I learned that I should have made adjustments because <laughs> I've never really raced in humidity before, but heat, I know, like I know heat well, and actually BJ and I, we both qualified 
in Coeur d'Alene, 140 degree day for Kona. And I get a lot of energy from the heat. Like I love it. Like I love being on the trails. I really, I really enjoy being in the heat. And it was 104 my last run I had in Arizona before I left here. So like it wasn't like I had any cool weather coming in. And actually I use that when I like was leaning up to the energy lab when I wasn't feeling awesome, I was already on plan like C at that point of like what my pacing was going to be. And I was like, a hill, great. I love hills. I love heat. Like I, I know how to do this. I just know how to do this. And so I think I never find heat intimidating. I didn't care what the temperature was going to be. Like I knew it was going to be a hot day. Doesn't matter to me. The day will serve me what will serve. And I know that I can excel in like whatever those conditions are. And so like I was never, like Kona never scared me. Um, I was nervous. I was excited, but I wasn't like, oh man, I'm so nervous about this race. I was like, it's just, it'll be what it'll be. And so I think that helped knowing what I can do in the heat helps release that a little bit. Um, But that's also like how I go into a race as far as mindset is just the day will be what the day will bring. And um, I was telling just this earlier that I, you know, I, I really love this island. There's something like really powerful and intense about this island. And I think the intense energy here, it, it, most people, I haven't heard people discuss this is like why people have bad races here. But I think the intensity of the energy, if you don't know how to let it move through you, it just gets stuck in you. And I think that if you don't know how to release it, you end up walking on the Queen K for many, many hours. Um, and obviously there's other things that can happen too, but I think just it's so intense and it is so activated in all the athletes around you. Like the energy here is intense. Like there's just a lot happening with people around with the island. There's a volcano that's active, you know, underneath our feet. Like this just all this like deep power coming from like underneath the earth up in us. And and I felt that and I was really aware of it. And so I, the day before I went to meditation, I asked the island like to serve me up this like a, a transformational experience. I didn't realize, like, you know, you asked for that. And then when you're in it, you're like, God, this sucks. (laughs) This is really hard. And so, you know, my head, I had thought about what I would do in those really deeply hard moments. And that's easy. It's much easier to do that when you're, like, sitting in this, like, you know, lotus pose, like, on a lava rock in the ocean than it is on the Queen K at mile 16 going in the energy lab, feeling the worst you've ever felt in an Ironman before. And so my day and my mindset in the thick of it became just don't walk, just go forward, just go forward. Um, and just go back to that over and over again. Um, and in my training, you know, I try to do the same, the same thing is just, you know, just go forward and use what's around. Um, so it was a really hard day that I asked for. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I have done that as well. And uh, you, you may learn quickly that don't necessarily need to say universe, bring it on because... No. She's going to bring it on no matter what. And yeah, with transformation, like comes pain and suffering and we need that. We need it to grow. We need it to grow. Beej and I were talking, um, I think before we left for Hawaii and I was like, could you imagine if everything we wanted just worked out the way we wanted it? We would be so bored. We would be miserable. Like we need that strain. We need the pressure. Um, so you had talked, you had just mentioned like the, the intensity and the energy and like, if you don't know how to let it move through you, how do you let it move through you? What are some things like when you're feeling all of that, like, oh my God, this is like a lot because it is a lot. Um, you know, there was thousands and thousands of people here on this Island. And like you said, there's a volcano under our feet. Like there's a lot going on energetically. So how, what do you do 
to allow things to just move through? So I, I pick animals ahead of time before a race that I want to like feel a part of. So I've had breathing issues the last multiple races I've done where I like can't breathe in the start of the swim and I have to like stop for like minutes on end to catch my breath. And it's been very frustrating. And I didn't want that to happen in this race. So the first animal is like a sea turtle, you know, or like super calm and chill. And then I allowed myself to become like a dolphin. And if I needed to, I had like a shark in the background, but I never like, I, I, the swim was very beautiful. I never felt like I needed to be like a shark and like really like aggro my way through it. Um, and then I call my bike dragon she's a dragon um, and I'm very connected to her and so I always think of dragons flying next to me um, or horses I use for this one as well and then for the run um, I wear a hot pink like cheetah outfit is my kit and so of course cheetah is my animal <laughs> and I just use like I try to tap into the like the really strong energy of those animals and like bring them into like how and so when I feel the if the energy in this instance becomes really intense I let it move through me but then I let it through the animals so it's near me and around me but it isn't like stuck inside of me and it's just a way to like transmute it out because um, when you're racing it, it's hard I have I can go in but like only so much because there's so many of my other like senses are having to especially on a bike or having to use to stay safe and to think and like you're online and so if I can like quickly transmute it out somewhere else it can be with me without me having to be like, okay let me move it through like all my shockers and then up through my crown like that's too I can't get there when I race um, like I can in other parts but the animals have helped me a lot to that but yeah. I, set, I set that up ahead of time I use that in training and I like think I have spent a whole day thinking through like how am I going to use this what animals are going to be with me how is that going to work so it's like already I, my, I already know what to do. So race day is just like, it's like another pedal stroke. Yeah, exactly. So you're training with these kind of visualizations with these animals. And the thing about animals, nature in general, um, as opposed to humans who have free will, animals, nature, plants, the ocean, all of that, it does really well because it's it exists within divine law, within universal law. But because we have free will which comes with the ego, which carries our free will, right? We ha also have mental preferences. So we push against things. We don't just allow things to be as they are. We think that they should be another way or, um, you know, we, we want to go to Kona for years and years and years and we qualify and we get here and then we don't want the heat. And um, <laughs> so to channel something like that from nature is... I always channel like trees, you know, like just like how the trunk is like super strong and rooted, but all the branches are very relaxed and they just kind of hang off a really strong core. And for me, that core is that deep calm. So nature and animals, they all do really well because they don't have these egos, which are those me centers of the brain. And um, they just fall in line with, with universal law. And so you know, nature is there to teach us how to just let things move. Like the, the ocean wasn't complaining that there was thousands of people in it peeing and, you know, like spitting and swimming and all of that. And, you know, the lava fields don't complain about how hot they are. They just are. They just are. Um, so I love that. That's, that's beautiful. Okay. We're going to move on to Jason had some questions and this came through you, Jennifer. So weather conditions, you guys 
I think you guys had slightly different, like, I think if we get in there, we'll see that there were some slightly different weather conditions on race day. Um, and uh, how did they factor into the race? And I think we've kind of talked about that. I think um, maybe nutritionally, Jennifer, you could have taken some more sodium in. But what were, let's start with you, Jennifer, like, what were the, the conditions on race day, wind, heat, classic Kona, was there anything um, kind of off um, the norm of what we would typically see at a, at a Kona race? Yeah, I think the difference is, I mean, the, the winds were there, but they were not, I didn't find them very substantially. Like I never had to get out arrow on the descent from Javi, you know, which is my definition of like, if it's too windy and I can't descend really fast, I have to get out of my hoods, you know, on my hoods, then that makes it windy. Uh, like St. George was significantly windier, especially for the women. Uh, Cause we went later in the day than here, like significantly different. Um, and so I think the rest of it was pretty classic Kona. You know, the heat was to be expected. Um, and yeah, I think that, I think the, I think you had, a, I had slightly different days, but nothing I think too substantial. No, I didn't feel the so-called winds at all. I, I, I felt one gust maybe push me from the side, but nothing from what they talk about. And the heat, um, I definitely felt humidity, but I felt like I had... I don't know, 50, 60% cloud cover, I want to say on, on the ride. But as we were talking about earlier, like the sun did pop out as you got past uh, going, heading back to town and it definitely popped out on the highway there. And, uh, it just, it was like an oven. I can feel, I can see, I can see what people talk about when it's like that for the whole race, like that would most certainly make it more challenging. Not to say I wasn't sweating and dripping sweat and soaked and, um, doing, um, heat management, you know, every time I hit an aid station, but it, I don't think, and I could be wrong. Maybe other people could chime in um, or have different opinion, but uh, I don't feel it was typical of those extreme conditions. I felt like we were pretty blessed, even on the swim. I mean, the swim was cloud cover for most of it too. I felt it was pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, you did have four guys break under eight hours. Or, no, break the course record. I mean, it was a crazy day yesterday. Just all the way around, the energy of the men's mm-hmm. race was out, it was out of this world. It was incredible. But what's interesting, because we talk about momentum here a lot, like people were talking about it before, like the momentum of like course records are going to be broken. What is it? What is possible for the Norwegians to do? And then Sam gets, Sam Lalo gets in this, yeah. all gets carried up in this momentum. So how did it actually happen? Was it, did we create it and build this energetic, uh, vibration to give us a day to do that? Or, you know, was it, was it just, uh, was it just fate? Um, I like to think that we, we intentionally, the intentions of people, everybody got on board and it was like, the universe was like, okay, here's a good day. I mean, I think I was, uh, Kelly O'Meara wrote this great piece this morning, um, covering the men's race, but her point was like, there's a new era triathlon and people are racing different and they have to, because the caliber of athletes have increased because of the Norwegians, but everybody's doing it too. Like everybody's taking chances. People are risking more. People are going harder from the start. Like all those things you assume were true at Kona, like rookies can't win it. You know, like you have, you know, like you can't be young to win it. I mean, all those things, you can't break the course records the first time. All that was shattered yesterday. And I think that that energy. Same with the women's race. You got Chelsea, like so many things happened differently this time around that I think it just really, I think Kona was, you know, was different this time in a really like fascinating, incredible way. And so honored to be a part of it, but it'd be curious to see like how this changed the dynamics of the race going forward. And I think, you know, triathlon isn't always going to be the Dave and Mark Hill. <laughs> like 
there's going to be like the Gustav Eden Hill when he passed, you know, Matt Lalo. Like, mm-hmm. I think we're finally ushering a new era of like heroes into the sport too. And that happened yesterday and Thursday. I almost want to think like the time away from this race got people, at least this is my hope, got people to think about how how valuable like every moment and race and experience is and that it really pushed some athletes to the to the point of like I'm going to just go have fun with it. I've I've heard people talk about going out and having fun with their experience and it sort of relieves that pressure of having to like perform you know t- firm grip it's more like I'm just going to go out and do my thing and I'm going to give my best effort and I think the years away from this race maybe served up this delicious, you know, opportunity for people to just knock, crush it, you know, knock it out of the park. And also it was the most supportive Ironman I've ever been a part of, like in the race competitors. Like it was not just the spectators, but like the people you were racing with, like I was having an incredibly hard time, like up that last hill. And the woman that I know from racing just came up, put her hand on my back and was like, hey, we got this, let's just go. Like just really, there's a lot of beautiful moments like that where in normal Ironman, like especially at the top, like you're racing for something. And like, I wasn't racing for anything. I was just enjoying Kona. And so many people were out there doing that. And just the, the, the kindness, the, you know, the compassion, the like, we're all in this together. We're all suffering together. was on a whole other level here than I've ever experienced. And it's like my favorite part of the sport, you know, and even like the top, you know, the top leaders for the pros, everybody, like it just shows our sport is really one of community. It's just a really community-based sport. And to see it all play out on the biggest stage was beautiful. It was really cool to be here in person. I mean, I just love the excellence. Um, I love to watch the mastery, um, physical, uh, and there are a few who have it mentally as well. And um, yeah, just beautiful to see that all of it, right? Like even the people that were going up Polani and just like screaming, you know, I saw that several times. Um, and they're going to learn, like they're going to learn somewhere along the line how to take that and instead of emoting it, use that actually um, to power them up the hill from a place of calm, which is invincibility. And uh, okay, so let's keep going here. Liz has a great question about uh, what in your training prepared you the most for Kona? So either kind of a general thing or maybe one workout where you were like, oh man, I'm so glad I did that workout. Yeah, I think I think two things were very beneficial for this course. One, uh, having patience. Uh, and that is, if you follow me, the that weekly long ride I do up this mountain of 5,000 feet, uh, it takes an hour to cl- over an hour to climb, and it's just being patient, climb the gr- you know grind it out, um, and that really came into play because there's some hills here. They're not as steep um, as Palomar or as long, but you got to be patient and you got to work it because you've got a whole these hills come on the way out mostly, and on the way back um, you got to have some energy uh, in order to to really um, use your fitness. And then the second thing was. That one ride I did on Fiesta, I did a workout of three by 30 minutes in TT. It's all flat, big circle. I think it's like five miles, four miles. Um, But the winds, it's about the winds. And so these winds were like in my face. I remember doing it with Daniel and we were just like one side of it. You're just going so slow because the wind is in your face, but it forces you to stay in arrow and it forces you to... um, uh, to do exactly, exactly what we did when we got out of Javi. Because in, in my opinion, it's like 
game on when you when you go down there. And I was being patient, patient, wait till 80, wait till 80, because you leave Javi at 60. So there's still 20 miles in there. And I said, be patient, be patient. And actually, I was gifted with a flat tire in that space. So it actually was like, slow down, chill, like, like, take, take the, the pedal off. Um, but after mile 80, I was in arrow, I would say most of that whole, the whole section back to town. So those two sessions really were, were important. Yeah, I think mine was, it was actually per Vita. So we had our, our per Vita challenge was in uh, September, three weeks before this race. And day two is our longest day. It's almost 100 miles, like 10,000 feet of climbing. And it was really hot and I had climbed and there's, we come back to town, you go through this hole and you go up this like 20% grade and it's my least favorite part of the whole trip. And it's like, you go through town, it's like a 6% like grade with rollers, just traffic. And I felt awful and I almost got in the truck before the hole and I was like, screw it, like I'll just do it. And I felt like I was going to vomit for an hour and a half and I was like, you know what? I'm going to peg my heart rate at 155 and whatever I ride is what I ride. And I actually rode like really well back and I was a couple of times I gagged off my bike and I was like, you know what? My special gift in life is I can peg my heart rate at 155 and just keep going. And that... 90 minutes was basically like, that's what prepared me for mile 10 to mile 26 of the run. It was just, I'm going to peg my heart rate at at 150 and what I run is what I run. And I can just, damn it, I will just do this all day. Like this is what, it's my special gift (laughs) is I can just do this all day. Even though it hurts, even though I feel like I'm going to vomit, I will just do this. I will finish it and I will be done and I will be happy that I did it. And so that one section there, and when I was doing it, I was like, I think I'm really going to be glad I did this in Kona. And the, you know, the run, I was like, I'm really glad I did that in Kona because it's you know, a reminder that I can do, I can do that for as long as it takes. I can do that. Yeah, I know that whole I was in the truck for that <laughs> hole and it was crazy even driving uh, up out of the hole um, in Costa Rica. So I'm going to go back to Jason um, and, and thank you, Liz, for that question. That was awesome. Uh, Jason, he wants to know how you guys prepared mentally for the race. I've been preparing for this race for 16 years um, when I first had that initial attempt at at working to qualify. And so I, I always knew, uh, that I could achieve this and I would finish it. Um, but then you get down to the actual day to day work with the mind and that comes with morning meditation. Uh, first thing sitting still in silence, um, sifting and sorting through the thoughts, understanding that there's a space between stimulus and response. And that, um, as I race more in this mode, of being present and aware of these thoughts, I practice it more often. So I, it's not that I don't struggle on race day. It's not like I'm, you know, it's just a, a walk, um, a cakewalk. Um, so I have my moments, but I have the tools necessary to, to, to pull myself out of it. So, so many times I use the tools, which is focus on your breath, focus on um, a mantra, focus on uh, something that's happening now uh, and not get too far ahead of yourself. I remember looking at these guys up there walking and immediately just was like, stop looking at them walking, come back to what, what are you doing? Like, and Bob, our, our meditation teacher was like, you, you, you've already done it. Like you're, you've already got it inside. Like you've already done it. So go there, be, stay within yourself. Um, and I kept pulling myself back to myself. So 
mentally, you got to do the work before you get to race day. You, the mental reps over and over and over and over again. And I hear this from athletes a lot where they'll stop doing meditation because it's just not working for them or uh, their mind's very busy. That is the practice. That right there is your training. When the mind gets busy and it doesn't want to sit there, you want to look at your phone, get on email, like that is the practice. That's the very thing that happens when you're on the run at mile 20 and you just want to walk. It's that thought that says walk and it's the other thought that says you don't really need to walk. You have no no intestinal issues and you have no pain, like real serious pain happening. That is the decision. I mean, that, that's actually what happened to me on race day. There were moments of like, you're just going to walk when you get to the light. I'm like, why am I going to walk when I get to the light? The light's up there. I, I'm not feeling anything. Like, so I kept pushing further, further along. So that is the practice. You, the mind, the body will follow the mind. Um, but the thing is, the mind isn't, isn't um, in control. You are in control. You can, you can manage that mind and the thoughts that, that come up. Um, if you practice in advance. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I just started meditating, um, really with, because I've listened to the podcast for so long and gotten to know Jess. And so it's been practicing for about six months now and it is, um, it's made a huge difference in my life and in my racing. And I think the biggest difference is, is before, Prior, I would say that I've, I haven't not been mindful. I have, and I would race in that. But when you're racing, because you're requiring so much of every part of your body, it becomes so much harder to get to that space. And without the practice before, like it has to be like, we need that groove in our system, a well-worn groove of going to meditate every day that you can get back to when everything else is like, when you know, is your body hurts and your legs hurt and this hurts. Like so much is screaming at you that you need to have like a deeply worn groove as if you don't, you're not going to be able to find it in that. It's really hard to get to that space. And so you know, I had a similar experience on the run where like I was on plan like F at that point. <laughs> and basically what it came down to is like, you will not walk, you will not walk. And so I, I walked the aid stations to like cool off and stuff, but I would, you know, will not walk because I was like, I'm going to walk. And I was like, well, right. Like, how do I really feel? Like, I feel like if I walk, I will be really disappointed in myself, you know, because there's nothing else going on. Like, it's going to hurt no matter what. And it's just going back to the groove. Like, how do I really feel? I really feel it's totally fine to keep moving forward in a run pace. Like, there's no other reason not to do this. Like, me as my being can do this. The rest is just all physical nonsense at this point. But I wouldn't have been able to get to that place without that, like, war and groove that I've developed over the last six months. Because that, right, it's the chatter. Like, if you can't break through the chatter of your mind every day when you're not being physically taxed for 11 hours on a race course, you're not going to be able to do it on 11th hour of the race course. You have to do it in the time before and the time before. And you have to really set your intentions. Even on the, the bike, you know, I was having a great swim. I had a great bike. I had a great eight miles of the run. And I was like, oh, this is so easy to go inside myself. This is great. I'm so present right now. <laughs> You know, and I was, but then it's when things get really difficult. That's where you need that groove. Yeah. And our teacher always talks about, um, you know, as far as mental preparation, he talks about like, you can, you can go out there and you can dig a lot of, a lot of small holes, but what he teaches us to do is just go back to the same hole every day. Same thing. Dig, 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 dig. And that whole for me, and I think the basis of what Yogi Triathlete was born on and certainly Awake Athlete is the meditation. Because if the meditation is the base, 
you really, you'll find that you're not like seeking the next book on mental training. You're not um, going out and trying to do all these things to sharpen your skills because everything gets taken care of when you sit down and you get still and you don't move and you close your eyes and you don't speak for a certain amount of moments every day. And it doesn't matter how many moments that is. And, And Jennifer, like probably the first time you and I met, to talk about this, like, I'm sure I said to you, like, I don't care if you meditate for 45 minutes or 30 seconds, do it every day, every single day, go out there and dig in that same hole because you'll get to the core where everything you need is. And it doesn't matter if you're at mile one or you're at mile 139, like you'll have that. I love how you talked about like that deep groove. There'll be a part of you that's always sitting in that deep groove. So you'll always have the tools. You're not, um, you know, trying to find some uh, semblance of peace or calm because there's a part of you that's been rooted in that day after day after day. And that goes with you naturally on race day. And I can promise you that that is only going to get better. It's amazing. Yeah. And if I, cause I've raced a lot without this. And so like, I think the, the big difference is if you can allow yourself, if, it's all about resistance. If you cannot resist what is happening to you, if you not be frustrated that you're not having like whatever expectations you have, like if you let that go, the movement becomes easier. Like your your body has to resist less, your mind is resisting less, like you can allow that to go. And it's not like you do it at mile 20 and then like you're great for the next six miles. That's not how it works. It's actually like a constant coming back, coming back, coming back. But in those moments of being like, oh, I'm just going to release this, you get a little bit lighter and then it comes back and it's that constant move. But like the difference would be resisting for 146 miles, all these things happening around me versus allowing it to move through me and just moving through it. Like it's a totally different experience as like what race is like and you know, I think there's a reason why I'm more recovered the days after, even mentally more recovered. Like it was one of the hardest races I've ever done, but I, I feel like I could go race tomorrow if my body would allow me to. Where I before, I'd be like, oh man, I need a couple of like, I need like a month to mentally before I could do a hard effort again. I don't feel that way anymore at all after the meditation. Mm, brilliant. I love it. Jason, thank you for these great questions. Um, we're going to stick with his final question here. Um, the second part of it is about course correction. Like, did we have, did you have to adjust? Did you have to course correct? And it, that's kind of a common theme with a lot of these questions. And I think the answer is yes. Like that is what race day is all about. And that's why you want to be mentally preparing yourself every morning, uh, wake, pee, meditate, and also dialing in that feel, not always relying on data so that course correction is not a surprise. It's just a natural thing that you expect and that you're really good at. Um, So um, that answer is just always going to be yes because we've got that as a second question to a lot of these questions. So that answer is always yes. But I love this here because it is important to go in with a plan. Um, but it's also that ability to let go of that plan and flow and course correct and all that stuff. But per discipline, did you guys have a strategy? Like what, what was your swim like? Or, um, I would use the, the idea of like, what did you visualize or how did you want your swim to feel? Or what was your plan for the swim, the bike and the run? And then how, how it was executed or how we had a course correct? Yeah, or I mean, the answer to that is kind of like, yeah, you had a course correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, swim was pretty uneventful, um, I took, you know, I usually go to the outside, but Jen, Jennifer said on Thursday that she did the same thing and found some room and space and had a great swim. So I just stayed stuck with that and got around as quickly as possible. I thought I swam faster, but I was just happy to, oh my God, it was just 
tough not to just stop and look all, all around. Um, but I kept moving, kept moving. Um, one thought was like the body glove boat, like is body glove still like in business? Like, <laughs> I have no idea. Um, the bike, you know, I had a course correct. Uh, I got a flat tire. Um, so I, I'm looking back at it now and I was, I couldn't, I was so, just so calm. Like, I don't, I kind of just went through the steps of doing it, um, of changing the tire and getting it done. And two people had stopped it, not stopped, but they rode by and said, you have everything you need, which again, talks to the, you know, the, the community. And I was, I was totally fine. Um, got back on the bike and, and got through it and, uh, didn't really have to do any course correction after that. I had the intention of going easy for the first 80 miles and then, and then, uh, picking it up. And then on the run, yeah, much course correction, like constant course correction. First of all, going way too fast to start. Like I felt like amazing. I was like, this is awesome. Like if I can run 8.15 to 8.45 for the whole race, this is great. And I was I like, I can manage this. As soon as we got out on the Queen K, it was a different, different story. That's where it really, well, you do have that first downhill on the Queen K, but then after that, it was like, oh, how long is this? I don't remember the airport where they actually let being this far. Um, but it was constant course correction, M- managing managing the moments, managing the mind, um, noticing what we just talked about, the dissatisfaction of the pace that you see and how the mind wants to not not even run close to that if it can't hit the pace that you have expected. So it's a dissatisfaction with what is. And that's when you quickly turn it to allowing, allowing this to be the pace. And what I did in Santa Cruz was just stop looking at the watch. Stop looking at it. Stop looking at it. Just go on feel. You know you're running as hard as you can if you're running as hard as you can. So yeah, there was constant, constant um, management. Um, And even up until the final mile stretch when Amy Height uh, was running alongside me with her camera and she was videoing it and she's like, just make sure you soak up this finish. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I've been so like focused on getting to the finish. I got to remember, like really, really capture this, this moment. So there was constant course correction. Um, but again, if you don't have the tools to be aware of those thoughts and those moments, then it's going to constantly be an uphill battle. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I don't, I'm not digging the course correction, like the, the terminology. I think it's more like the realization of what the day is that's being brought to you. Like I have an idea of what I think the day should look like. And then I think it's the realization that like, that's not actually the day that's before me. That's not what the universe is like serving up to me today. Um, and so I always have a plan going into races and the swim was great. It was, I had no issues breathing, which was amazing. I swam wide. I had a, the strongest Ironman swim I've ever had. Not time-wise, but like I felt strong. And if you factor in the waves, I think it probably would have been time-wise. My bike perfectly executed. I, I, I like to gain a lot of free speed. So I work a lot in aero. I was able to get lots of free speed. Really good bike split. Watts were way down, like perfect. Um, 
And then the run, I just, at some point in the race, was having such a good day, made the assumption the rest of my run would carry through. And so it's funny, I had no expectations going into the race. I developed expectations while racing, and then I was disappointed in those expectations while on the run. <laughs> and I definitely laughed at myself a lot um, in that experience. So like, Jennifer, you went in with no expectations, and now you put them on yourself, and now you're upset. <laughs> Um, and so I think it wasn't so much like course correction, but yeah, I, I got into the Queen K and I was like, okay, we're just no more watches. We're just running as hard as we can. And then eventually it was not walking. And it was like, this is just the day that's in front of me. Like, I just have to accept that this is what the day is. And, you know, here we go and I'll fuel and I'll keep on moving forward and just be with what the day is supposed to be. And it's not what I thought would be. And that's totally fine. It's the day that I needed to have. Hmm. Let's stay with... Um kind of this um, idea of, you know, moments that were challenging. Tracy, who is our live audience today, say, hey, Trace. Hey. <laughs> She's prepping us for our uh, live event, uh, which is going to be a week from now at Canyon Bikes. This actually will post after that event happens, but hopefully uh, all the local people in San Diego know about it and they came. But anyway, um, Trace had a question and it also kind of plays into River had a question that came from Jennifer. Thank you, River. Thanks, Trace. Um, Want to know like what was the most challenging like mentally? What was a mentally trying moment uh, and what did you do in that moment to work through it? Do you know yours? I do, yeah. <laughs> so... So I think, um, so usually when we do Ironmans, I've always been at like the tippy end of the race um, because, you know, I was able to qualify to get here. I'm used to being top 10 in my age group. Um, I'm used to being in the front of races. Like I'm, I'm a used to having really good races. And it was unbelievably humbling to be passed by so many people on the run course who are having good days and bad days, but it's just every, the level of athletes here is so, is so high and it's amazing, but like it's certainly like it really challenges the ego, like just to be passed by like, you know, hundreds of people continuously on the Queen K. I've never, I haven't experienced that. And that was certainly something like to work through and just be like, just be okay with it. Like just, I can still be proud of myself that this is what I'm doing. And that like, I, maybe their suffering looks different than mine. And that's totally okay. It was, it was really like, there was a lot of work there with the ego and like how I viewed myself as an athlete in those last six miles of the race for sure. But that ego just wants to keep us separate. Um, in comparison. And I felt that on the, on the run too. I, I really looked around and I'm like, I'm not used to seeing this few people out here on the run. And as I started to come back, I'm like, there's even fewer people heading out when normally I'm like you said, normally in, at least in a pack, like I can feel people coming back. I felt like I was at the tail end. I was at the tail end of this race. Um, but, you, but just to be clear, you still raced it in a really great time. Like that's right. like I got sub, you were and we were both sub twelve. Like in any other Ironman, we would be like near the front of the race. It's just we were. Yeah, it was. It got desolate out there. It, it did, <laughs> and it wasn't. It wasn't so real as when we did the turnaround in the Energy Lab, and there was nobody at the furthest turnaround except a little GoPro on a <laughs> tripod. There was no human being whatsoever <laughs> around. <laughs> and you go do this turnaround, and you you you're you're basically out. Out there at the furthest point all by yourself um but yeah so that that was really challenging of the ego um and then of course the the bike packs I, on the bike just getting passed by 
seven, eight like cyclists that would just move into this pace line. And part of me was like, oh, I should, I should get on the back at least and hold. And, and part of me just didn't want to be any part, like any part of it. So I just, I actually just eased up. Normally I would try and like, you know, get into that, you know, keep the space, but then go past the group. But this time I just stayed in the back. But then when we got to 80 miles, it was game on. It was like, oh, I'm going to pass six people at once. And it was like, okay. So it was a patience game. But that ego, that ego just, it it can really uh, wreak havoc on your your happiness. Yes. That's why you got to train the ego. And when we train it, which is like what you guys are doing out there, you know, we can read about training the ego and we can journal in our journals about training the ego, but you're training the ego when you're typically at the front of the pack and you're getting passed by hundreds of people. You're training the ego when a Peloton goes by you at a world championship and the ego is saying like, hello, cheaters, like what's happening? And it doesn't matter what they're doing. It doesn't matter what they're doing because that comparison energy is the lower self. It needs you to be less than or more than, and that's going to keep you in suffering and it's either going to keep you on top or on the bottom. And so, um, yeah, so as we train the mind, we kind of chill in that, we chill in the patient zone and, uh, and in the end we win. Okay. So speaking of winning, Julia, uh, another Team Yogi Triathlete athlete, and Trace had similar questions about um, what was highlight of the day. I typically don't do the two-part question, but I'm going to do it. So I'm going to trust that you guys remember this. And because they could be the same thing. Highlight of the day and also the day where you just felt the strongest mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, so my highlight was my uh, my parents and my daughter are here to see me, and we have a place in Lehi at mile two. And so they had like chalked it. She had like she had a sign for me. She was full Ironman gear. So it was always a highlight when I get to see my daughter. And I ran by and I kissed her, and it was just amazing. And she was so she's really proud of me for being here. And she saw me qualifying Coeur d'Alene. She knows it's been my dream for a really long time. And so it's just an honor to share a dream with her, but to also show her that dreams take a lot of work <laughs> and a lot of consistency and patience and time. And like, she sees how hard I work for my dreams. And so I just love that she can share this experience with me. Um, and the, what was the other one? Sorry. <laughs> see, this is what happens with two part questions. I know it's as a podcaster, you should never ask <laughs> two part questions. Uh, when you felt the strongest. Oh, always on the bike. Like I just, I, I, that's my, that's my biggest strength. I had the, I had so much fun on the bike. I really, especially that back after my, after the turn from Javi, when people were not having a great day, I was having a really good day. And then the women went. And by that time, the faster guys had caught up to us. And so I pace lined back with a lot of the quicker dudes and just caught onto the train in a legal space. Um, that we, <laughs> just to be clear, but, um, although I did motor pace behind a semi truck cause they had trucks on it for like a good 10 miles fantastic placement of a semi-truck. <laughs> so besides that, um, that was a lot of fun. So that was, I felt really strong and confident, always on a bike. I love, I love being on my bike. What was the first question? Oh my God, are you serious? <laughs> Here's the question again. It's two parts. That's it. Just one. And then there's a second part. And the first part is what was the highlight of the day? So just work with that for now, and then I'll ask you the second part. <laughs> oh, man, the highlight. Okay, highlight of the day, the full day. Um, I, I think coming down the finishing chute 
um, I'm, I'm seeing it right now, like giving high fives and stopping to just give thanks, um, to the, to the, I was thinking this in my mind, thanks to Mike Riley, thanks to the crowds, thanks to, uh, all the people that got me here. Thanks to, uh, the spirit that's within me that has, has allowed me to achieve, um, more than, um, I ever thought possible. So the appreciation and gratitude was like so high there. Um, and to come across that line, which I've seen people come across years after year after year to, to finally be there myself was pretty, pretty special. Yeah. Part two. When did you feel the strongest mentally, emotionally, spiritually? By far, it was back from Javi. Like I got my nutrition. I got past that little, like a, maybe a mile out. Um, and then it was like game on. I was cruising so fast. And then I got a flat tire. Um, so that was like, whew, okay, I can get, I can become fast again. I changed it and I just held that. Um, for so I was, I was literally saying to myself, I'm having so much fun. This is so awesome. Um, and I didn't feel like I was, I, we talked about this, not having high Watts. I wasn't pushing a lot of Watts. I felt like I was just this momentum, whatever it is, was carrying me down and, and I was flying past people and it was like picking people off. That's when I was just, uh, I felt invincible. Yeah. I think a, a key, like for cycling and arrows, it's so, you have to be really patient to stay in arrow like that and to hold the line. And that was a course, maybe not so much, it was patience for pacing, but if you could be patient and know how to really be tucked in arrow for long periods of time, it was huge. And it was a lot of fun to do that. <laughs> the ego liked that. The huh? ego had yeah. so much fun on the bike. <laughs> it's okay to let the ego kind of stick its head yeah. out the window and get some fresh air and have some fun and heckle. It's fine. Just stay in control of it. Um, okay, what was the most unexpected? This is another one from Julia. What was the most unexpected part of your race experience? How did you navigate it? So I think I, mine was the happy unexpected. I, you know, you always hear about Kona. I've been trying, I have wanted to be in Kona since I was like a little girl. I didn't really know it at the time, but like that's when the voice started inside. And I was, you know, part of me is like, well, maybe I've built it up so much it won't be as awesome. It is so much more awesome than I thought it would be. <laughs> It's just like for one, for three days in this little island in the Pacific, triathlon is the most important thing in the whole world to everybody that you're around. And I love the sport so much. And to just be like in that energy of like everybody has sacrificed to be there. We've tried, I mean, like nobody got here to Kona by accident. Like it just, we've tried so hard. And I think everybody is so grateful and in so much joy and in awe of just being here that it is an experience that it, it's way more amazing than I thought it was going to be. Most unexpected moment. This is when I'm in the mind. Yeah. Don't get in the mind. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, as I was climbing out of um, the energy lab up to that hill and I saw Hillary, I didn't think I would see anybody out there. <laughs> and I was about to break down, like really break down. Um, I've been thinking about Mary and my mom, but I didn't, I didn't share that with Hillary. And she just, if you know her, she's just so, uh, she's just so strong. She, she emodes this like strength and power. Um, and I pulled myself together and ran pretty strong out of that, out of that energy lab. 
Um, and then she caught me on the, uh, that little stretch out and back. Um, and I said, I got this. Uh, so that was probably the most close to being emotional that I, that I got, um, besides now, um, during that race. Yeah, it was pretty, it was, it was a growth, it was a growth moment for sure. Yeah, if you don't know who we're talking about, it's Hilary Biscay, Ironman pff, legend, uh, professional triathlete for a long time. And we are so blessed to actually, she's kind of like almost a neighbor. She lives in our town. And um, and our friend Mary, if, uh, if you're new to this podcast, um, uh, really traumatically and tragically left this earth in February of 2021. And she was one of BJ's biggest champions. Um, I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast, Jennifer, you knew her as well. Tracy, you knew her as well. She was a great connector, um, amazing woman, uh, really strong. And, um, she was a huge champion getting BJ to this Island. Like she really, she did so much for him. And then also his mom. So both of these beautiful women no longer on this earth, uh, but very much present and, Mary was Hillary's athlete um, and also very dear to uh, to her as well. So, yeah, that was beautiful, beautiful moment. And, yeah, Hillary is like, she's like that big, strong tree, right? Like that's just so rooted and amazing. So, so blessed to have these wonderful people in our life on this earth and not on this earth. Um, so, hey, let's just pull upon that emotional... Uh, String here, Beach. Got a question for you from Linda, Chef Linda of the Awake Kitchen with Yogi Triathlete. Uh, any signs of your mom out there on the race course? Yeah, one hundred percent. On a Lehi drive, uh, about two miles out, uh, you know, people put chalk messages and notes on the road, and there was a big heart in yellow, and it had TG, which is my mom's initials. Yellow is joy. Yellow is joy. So I thought about her um, at that moment. So that might have been another short emotional moment, <laughs> but I knew it was it was just it was just a sign to keep going um, and and get get my butt moving. Yeah, amazing. Um, okay, let's keep going, Tracy. We're gonna we're starting to round this out here, people. This has been very efficient. I like that. Okay, um, I've got a question actually just for you, Jennifer. Um, and then we're going to wrap it up into kind of these final moments of the race and takeaway words, things like that. But you are also recently plant-based. I love how you just dive into the deep end. You're like, meditate every day and I'm not going to eat animals anymore. And those two things kind of go hand in hand because you, you just start to tap into this kind of fierce gentleness within you. And, um, and you know, when you start getting into that real high vibration within you, you just want to feed your body with high vibrational things as well. So this comes from Karen, who's a killer athlete on our team um, with Kona Dreams. So let's all give her some good love for Ironman Arizona, because I would love to see Karen here next year. Uh, She wants to know what brought you to uh, plant-based eating. And then of course, anything else you want to share about it, things that you've noticed, um, we'd love to hear that as well. Yeah. I'm not a tone of water kind of person. So... (laughs) When I go in, I just go all in, <laughs> in everything. Um, yeah, so I became plant-based after the Pura Vida Cycling Challenge when I had spent that week with um, with you guys. And I was vegetarian for about 12 years um, in my 20s. 
and stopped and then um, has, was having like, just couldn't figure out like I wasn't recovering well, I wasn't feeling well, like I had tried all these different things and then spending that week with you in Costa Rica, I was like, oh, well, I haven't tried, why don't I just go plant-based? Like that, I didn't even think of that. That's so ridiculous. Why haven't I thought of that? And so after that trip, I did. And like instantly GI issues cleared up, recovery was fast, inflammation was down. And I just felt so, I just felt so much better. Just like spiritually, uh, physically, everything was like, up level to significantly. Um, and so this was my first, I did the extreme triathlon. I did an extreme triathlon in July. So that was plant-based. Um, and this is my first like um, Ironman plant-based. And I will say, I feel, and I, I, did, I did Costa Rica. So I was back in Peruvi in September and I was recovered within like two days. Like I've never, usually like it takes me at least two weeks to like system to recover from that kind of riding. Two days back on heavy Kona. I, I had, went into a 20 hour build week for Kona off of Costa Rica, just like t- ready to go. And, you know, today I've noticed, um, or yesterday, the day after I raced, it just, I wasn't that sore. Things are a little tight, but like, swim loosened it up. Again, like I feel like I mentally and physically, I could easily go ride a hundred miles tomorrow if I needed to. Like maybe I don't want to run, but, <laughs> but it's a huge difference before it would take me weeks to recover from Ironmans. I'd be really drained. I would need like seven cups of coffee the next day. Just like everything would be like system like down. And I have not felt that way at all. And I've been able to turn over better cycling, I'd rather training within my, within my builds too, because I can just recover so much faster. And I think physically, yes, but like the mental fog and clarity is so significantly different. You get so tired in Ironman training. I haven't really felt that maybe till the very end of this Kona build. And I think that's a huge difference. And I relate all that to, to being plant-based. It's made a huge difference. And I also just really like that there's no beans that were harmed in the process of me feeling my dreams. You know, like it just feels, it just feels better. It just feels, you know, more connected. Um, and so once I realized how that like hit that, like I should really try plant-based, uh, it just all kind of fell into place and it's been super easy adjustment, like not hard at all. It's been fantastic. Um, I feel great and it's been, it's been wonderful. So I really um, highly suggest if anybody's curious. Yeah. I mean, for Beej and I got in, be, became plant-based like you, Jennifer, I was veg- I was just a natural born vegetarian my whole life with a huge cheese addiction. And um, we went into it for performance. And then eventually you just realize like this kind of oneness within all beings, like I was saying just a couple of days ago, we had like a cockroach funeral here at our Airbnb because you just realize that every life is so precious and um, it doesn't feel, yeah, there's some heavy things around it and you just kind of breathe through it, um, you know, as you open up to this world of animals being just really beautiful, smart, community-oriented beings, families, they have everything like that that we have. They just don't have a voice. Um that you begin to see that beautiful connectedness within all beings, the trees and the cockroaches and the pigs and, you know, your fellow competitors. And it just, it's this really uh, beautiful, in yoga, we would say sattvic, um, very harmonious way to live. And I think that harmony translates into our competitions. It translates into how we do the dishes, everything. Um, We have less of an impact on this earth overall. So uh, that's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And Karen, thank you for bringing that to the forefront. Okay. So good. Okay, here we go. We're going back to Tracy. She wants to know about the moment you crossed the finish line and any takeaway words, like takeaway words from crossing the finish line. 
the first thing that comes into my mind is um, unwavering belief in in yourself. Um, if there's something that's placed on your heart, you have to you have to commit and you have to see it through. And there'll be moments of doubt and fear and ups and downs and setbacks and um, moments when you move forward and you, you think it's going to be easeful. Um, and all that come came to a culmination as I crossed that line saying like, yeah, you, for me, it took this long. Um, and every step and every thing that happened on that, on that path was life. It's life. It's, it's the ebb and flow of life. It's the ups and it's like the ocean. So I don't, I don't wish it any other way. And it happened so magically and, um, perfectly, um, because I released attachment to how it actually had to be achieved. Um, and when you do that, as Jennifer was talking about earlier, you just have this uh, calm uh, appreciation for what it is that's happening, knowing that it's for your higher growth as a, as a, as a person. So when I crossed that line, yeah, I did tick a box on things that I, uh, one thing that I have been looking to complete for many years now. Um, but it also, it also showed me that I'm not defined by this one event. This isn't the end. This is still, I'm still on the path. There's much, much more to go. And whether that includes coming back to Kona or more Ironmans, whatever it is, that's just one aspect. I think, I think at the essence of it is that you need to find what you love, um, and pursue it relentlessly. Um, until you achieve it, uh, dig that one big hole deep. Um, not many little holes. Yeah. The finish line was, it was, it was amazing. Um, I, I was never an athlete as a kid. Um, I was an athlete till I was like 33. Um, and I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot cause this like all came to me in the finish line is I, you know, like my, my PE teacher told me I was too feminine to run fast and like, I shouldn't try. Like I just like, no, nothing in my life indicated that I was an athlete like at all. Um, but I always thought I was. And so like I, I didn't trust that voice for a really long time until I, I finally started to. When I found triathlon, it finally like clicked in. Like this is, this is my dharma. This is a hundred percent. I should be an athlete. I should be leading others in this amazing sport. Like this is what I am meant to do. And I'm so glad that I finally allowed that voice to click and then to follow it because where it led me is to being at like the precipice of our sport. Like it's it's. It, nobody up until maybe a few years ago ever thought that, including myself, that this is something that I could actually do. And in that journey, there was moments when I started, first I, first my coach believed in me. And so I like borrowed her belief in myself because I didn't have it. And then eventually I started to believe. And then I really started to believe. And then when I realized like what it would take for me to get here is a lot of patience and consistency and like perseverance. And I knew I could be here because I knew I could do that as long as it took. Um, and so to sit here and like I, you know, for me, actually, the, the finish line was amazing. The most emotional start was the five minutes when you're treading water waiting for the race to start. And you're out there in the ocean. You have these other women. We're all like super excited to be here. And the day is ahead of you. And nope, I've never, there's no way I was not going to finish that. I would have crawled if I needed to finish that race. So it wasn't, I knew the finish line was inevitable. Was never, what was inevitable is getting to that start line. So to be in the water and being like, you know what? It's going to happen. It's just like, it is going to happen in 30 seconds. This is going to happen. And to be there and to know that like I did something 
that most people would never have thought that I could do and never achieve what I've been able to achieve and never be able to work through what I've worked through to be in this moment and to like be a part of this dream that I've had that I made happen. Like I just made this happen. Um, like out of nothing, you know, basically. Um, that was like the most powerful moment in all of this. And the rest was just the like, the celebration and transformation of the rest of it. And so the finish line was amazing, but that like that waiting for those five minutes, trying the water, in the ocean, like knowing that the day is about to happen and that I, that I got there is really, it's been amazing. I just really, yeah, I feel really connected. I've really found who I'm supposed to be in this day. It was an amazing celebration of that. Oh, I love that. And everybody has a different path to getting to Kona. Like BJ said, if it's on your heart, just keep going. Um, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, right? There is scientific law. We could say universal law. Like if you just keep your mind set on something and you stay focused, it can't not happen. It's, it's science. It can't not happen. Um, you know, um, Einstein, what did Einstein say? He said, all we have to do is match the frequency. I'm paraphrasing this, like match the frequency of our desire and it like can't not happen. And it's not, um, philosophy, it's physics. So keep going, keep going. And we had a question from Alicia about, um, getting to this race without ever completing an Ironman, but both of you have completed an Ironman and you have to complete Ironmans to get to Kona, um, Alicia. So, um, maybe this is on your heart and maybe you've done Ironmans, maybe you haven't done Ironmans, but keep following that. And I just want to hear from you guys because there's, there's, Everybody has their own unique path. Um, how many Ironmans did it take to get you here or years to get you here? 16 years, 17 Ironmans, two DNSs, and one DNF. That's what it took. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jennifer has a little bit of a cleaner, uh, cleaner path, but, but see, like, don't give up. Don't give up. BJ had almost two decades of reasons to give up. Don't give up. He's been on the podium at Ironman. He's been so far off the podium at Ironman. He hasn't even gotten to the starting line. Don't give up. Keep going. What about you, Jennifer? Yeah, I guess if DJ, my opposite would be the opposite. Is that like I didn't know how to ride a bike six years ago? I was a self, you know, self-taught swimmer. I didn't know any of this. I had never done any of these sports, and so I, my coach took me up like the South Mountain of Phoenix and was like, "You should change gears, hire your cadence." Like that, like she went play by play how you ride a bike, and so I did my first Ironman in 2018. I did two of them, so this is my sixth one. I qualified on my fourth one at Coeur d'Alene. Um, so I went from zero. So if you have zero athletic experience at all, you also, with persistence, you know, persistence and effort and consistency, you can also get here. Yes. You know, and yeah. can take however long it's supposed to take. Exactly. And the universe doesn't work linear. Like it, it, it just, it works all different ways. It's all magnetism. It's electromagnetism, right? That's what's keeping us on this earth right now. Electromagnetism, we call it gravity. Um, but so it doesn't work in this linear fashion, even though we say like, hey, you universe, like this is the perfect plan. I'm going to go to Ironman Coeur d'Alene in 2006 on my aluminum giant road bike, which I may or may not be talking about BJ, and I'm going to qualify. But if we look at that as his qualification and um, all the 17 Ironmans that it ended up taking, like 
there was so many valuable lessons in there and growth. Like you have to match the energy to be welcomed onto this island. Um, and both of you guys did that in your own unique ways. And it's beautiful. So we've got one final question for Daniel, and then we're going to wrap up this show. Daniel wants to know, if anybody knows Beej and I, then you know we've gone through a massive minimalization in our life, material, like material-wise, but also I think mentally too. We've gotten rid of lots of mental clutter. Um, so Coach Daniel wants to know, if you took the medal. I did, Daniel. <laughs> I took it. It's a big one. I do have the medal. Um, there was a quick moment there where where she's the the person that walks you from um, when you finish over to the tent. Um, I definitely needed some guidance. I was a little bit out of it. Um, was going to get the medal, and I was like, and the t-shirt and all that. And normally, I don't take that stuff, or I haven't recently in recent past. But for some reason, I, I took it um, and the necklace, which I'm looking at right now, which is so cool. Um, those are those nuts. What are they? The kakui nuts. Um, and so I took it. I felt like I wanted to see it. I wanted to feel it. Um, and you also get this smaller little um, medallion-looking um, metal thing too, which I may keep. Um, but the big metal, the big uh, metal. You know, right now I'm keeping it, Daniel. <laughs> Um, but I, I don't think it's going to be something I hang on to because of, um, of just that. Like, um, for me, this is just my experience and my relationship to it. Um, I don't, I don't want something to have a hold on me, like, uh, not have a hold on me, but have this tie, tie to, um, again, back to what I talked about. I'm so much more than just this and this is me, um, understand this is just my philosophy and my perspective, um, and that I want to share it. And actually I thought of sharing it with Luca, um, who is gonna, he is most certainly going to be doing an Ironman at some point in his life. He's 10 now. So he's got eight, eight years. I think you have to be 18 to do an Ironman. Um, but I think this would be, um, a, a good seed planted and an inspiration for him. Um, so yes, Daniel, I took it and I took photos behind the, with the wall. Um, and I did a yoga pose. So hopefully that one came out pretty cool (laughs) with the metal. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's a good question. If I, so I always, I take my medals and I definitely took this one, but, uh, my daughter takes it in for show and tell in her classroom. And when I did St. George, she took the medal in and one of the moms told me the next day, her son asked to go buy running shoes so he could start running. You know, and the whole class was following me. Like the teacher put it out to follow me and I get lots of questions about it. So, you know, like I think that like is also like for Luca, it's a really, cause it's a, we can't bring Kona back with us, but we can bring something like that signifies it that can show like the beauty and the power and the might of it. And like that metal, like it, it is a very massive metal. <laughs> I think it really conveys that. I know like that experience in her classroom has been one of like inspiration for those kids. And that's so, I think that's cool that like a, you know, a piece of metal that I get after a race can like convey the work and effort in, you know, into the young minds. So 
Yeah, the trickle effect. The trickle effect. And what is placed on our hearts is not there by happenstance. It's there for a reason. And, you know, we always say, like, just live the demonstration, like live the demonstration. Um, And that was such a game changer for me when I first started meditating was like really looking at this world that I dreamed to see and then really looking at myself and what, what was I doing to contribute to that world? Like, was I... Was I poison or was I the magic? And um, and I think inherently we all want to be the magic. And I think that this island um, reflects that within every single person that uh, was drawn here, either as a competitor, as a volunteer, as a racer, as you know, Iron Man itself. Um, there's a beautiful magnetism on this island, and and I feel certainly blessed to be here. I feel blessed to have you guys here with me and sharing your experience. Thank you so much. And I just want to thank Jennifer and Susanna and Hillary and. Jennifer, two Jennifers out there, and Tracy, like everybody was sending me pictures yesterday of BJ. Hillary was like all over the course supporting you, sending me quotes about things that you were saying. And it was just so, um, so, uh, gosh, overwhelming almost to, uh, to open and feel that love that was just so freely flowing between people who um, didn't know each other and still don't know each other. Just so beautiful. So thank you so much for being here. You guys, thank you for these questions. They were awesome. I love the way that this uh, panned out and I hope you enjoy the show. And of course, if there's anything that we didn't answer, drop it in the comments um, on either the IG posts or uh, to uh, through our DMs on Instagram and we will dive into that for sure. Um, and then... On this show, you guys, between Jennifer and BJ, we have two amazing coaches. So if you are looking to up your game in the mental space, especially, um, you know, these guys are walking the talk. And I think that that's, that's what coaches need to do. We need to live the demonstration. We can talk all day about how it's about mindset. Um, but I believe that if you are not training the mind through meditation, that you are missing a massive piece of your potential um, that's sitting within you right now. It's not outside of you. It is within you. So thank you so much. Jennifer, why don't you just tell us where people can get more of you and, uh, and YouTube each? Um, yep. Yeah, so Instagram, my name, Jennifer Volman, and my coaching company is Finding Endurance finance.com and then Pura Vida is Pura Vida Cycling Challenge too. So check us out if you want some awesome rides in Costa Rica. Highly recommend the rides in Costa Rica. That was amazing and really good uh, fitness and community um, community love down there. Um, I'm Brian Gimkowski on Instagram. Probably the best place to check me out. Yogi Triathlete. Um, oh, we have a training camp. So I'm going to come check us out January 12th to the 16th, 2023 in Carlsbad. Five days. Come join us. It's going to be awesome. All right. And we have one more thing coming in from Dan Beaver. Jennifer, happy birthday. It is your birthday today on Sunday after Kona. What a celebration weekend. Thank you, Dan, for that shout out. Yeah, nothing like turning your older and feeling fitter and faster and racing world championship, right? Yay for age. This is awesome. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Mahalo. 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 Mahalo.